Mosaic believes that the church is designed to be a genuine community of people, creating a safe space of belonging for all, seeking to serve our neighbors with the compassion of God, providing opportunities to learn to be more like Jesus, and living life well together. This can't happen in a one-hour time slot on Sunday mornings, yet we desire to be a worshiping, missional community in Clayton, North Carolina. Visit MosaicClayton.com or find us on Facebook, Mosaic Church of Clayton. Well, one thing is successful. Hopefully you'll have Hall and Oates stuck in your head for the rest of the morning. <laughs> We've been working our way as using this, these scenes from The Secret Life of Walter Mitty to introduce this concept of a person who is constantly caught up in their imagination but always failing to live into the reality before them. And we've been working this uh, question around our dreams that God has given us for Mosaic. Will we be the type of church that settles into just living in the now? Or will we step out into this great expedition that God wants to, to lead us into and in finding these new dreams that God has in store for us? And for this morning, we're going to take a look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, uh, verse 38. So turn with me. Tasha, do you think we can turn me down just a, just a hair? So uh, last week, we examined uh, what it looks like to be a community together, that the church is not this thing that we do Sunday to Sunday, but that God is inviting us to live life well together. And that also means that things get challenging at times. Just a, just a little bit. I'm just going to let you a little secret. The church is going to have conflict. A conflict-free church is more of like a cult or an authoritarian leadership. If we have conflict in the church, it means that we're living life well together, and it's how we handle that conflict that defines us. And we also looked at last week that if we want to be more of an intentional community together, that also means living life well in the good and the bad times, but also enjoying life together. And we explored what would it look like to have more fun together, to find ways to bring connection. We looked at what it means to be a missional community a couple weeks ago, what it looks like to be like Jesus, to enter into the neutral spaces of life, to meet people where they are with the compassion of God. So this week, we take a look at something a little bit different. What it looks like to connect deeper to God. And a couple questions to consider. First, what does that even mean? Connect deeper to God. What does that look like? How do we do it? So for that, we turn to Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now, context matters, so what's the context that we're walking into? Uh, Jesus has just finished telling the world's most well-known story, the parable of the Good Samaritan. The story gives us a glimpse into the kingdom of God, that it's a, a, a beautiful narrative of the most unlikely of people serving their enemies and those that should have the capacity to serve, choosing not to serve because of their religiosity. And then Jesus calls them into action, into compassion, into humility. And then the chapter ends with these two quaint sisters, Mary and Martha. So verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. 
I grew up in a house uh, with three boys, being the baby of three boys. And my God, it is a miracle uh, that Patty Hale didn't manage to kill all of us by the time I reached the age of two. It's just, it's a testament to her fortitude and the grace of God within her. We weren't hellions. Literally, we are hellions. Um, but we, we weren't exactly angels all the time. And sometimes we would do dumb things, the most dumbest things imaginable. Like, uh, we had this cardboard crate barrel and we were sitting on top of our 15-foot-high treehouse that Dad built, and we thought, you know what? It would be a great idea if one of us got in the barrel and we pushed each other off. And then we were surprised when my middle brother, Aaron, actually got hurt as a result of this. Another time, we thought we would build an underground base just like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles had their underground sewer. And so we were dragging wood and digging holes. Little did our engineering minds not think that that might uh, crash in on us. And based on the look on my mother's face, she maybe didn't know that. And so y'all walk with me after worship because I still think she has the authority to ground me if she wants to. And we weren't satisfied with doing things in the way they were designed to be. Jump ropes became rope swings. Big wheels were meant to have a passenger on them and go down a flight of stairs, not staying on the driveway. These were the types of things that we did. And, and, and we oftentimes just did stupid things. And, and we didn't rat on each other. If someone did something wrong, we weren't going to get the other one in trouble. And that is until you know, one of us was also going to get in trouble. And then all of a sudden, the confessions start flowing out like the, 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 the rapids of Niagara. Um, anybody in here ever tattletale on family? Yeah. If we can get a brand, we need to brand these people with a T, a tattletale a T on their head, that'd be great. Nobody likes snitches. Um, so we, we're welcomed into this weird, awkward situation in the Gospels, if you think about it. Like we go from Jesus miracles, Jesus parables, to all of a sudden two siblings fighting together. And anybody who has a sibling in here be like, no, it's not that odd. It should be in the Gospel. Uh, <laughs> And we have these two sisters, and the first one we really learn about is Mary. We learn Martha's name first, but we literally learn about Mary. She's this, uh, the younger sister, we uh, suppose, who's sitting before Jesus, just taking in everything that Jesus has to say. She's being shaped and molded by Jesus. And then there is Martha. Martha is hard at work in the kitchen. She's opened her home to Jesus. She is uh, offering hospitality. She's welcoming Jesus. She's doing her best to make this atmosphere perfect for Jesus. And hospitality was such a serious duty in the ancient Near East that it would have brought shame upon your house if you were not the utmost of hospitable to your guest. And while she's hard at work, she looks over and she sees her sister just, just sitting there, just sitting there listening to Jesus. I often imagine that Martha is in the kitchen intentionally like clinking pans around and occasionally dropping something and letting out those really long sighs just to make sure that everyone else in the house knew that she was in there by herself. And finally it comes to a boiling point. And she walks right up to Jesus and said, don't you care that my sister has left all the work for me? Tell her to help me. You can just hear the tattletale, just the annoyed sister, tell her to help me. Just imagine this moment. In reality, Martha has a good point. She shouldn't be in there doing all this stuff by herself. But it was an astonishing breach in etiquette for the ancient Near East for Martha to embarrass herself, to embarrass her sister, to embarrass her house by coming to their guest of all people to complain about what her family is doing. 
But this is this power struggle that's happening between the two sisters. And whether Martha realizes it or not, she's really actually trying to boss around Jesus. And that's a whole different can of worms altogether. But in reality is, we live in a Martha world, don't we? We live in the busiest culture that's ever walked the face of the earth. Our schedules are booked. We're always in a rush. There's one more email to check, one more text to respond to. We find that there's not just one problem that we have to pick up, but there's another one that's ready for us to pick up. And sometimes we try to juggle both at the same time. There's one more app to open. There's one more article to read. There's one more thing to be done. The church lives in the Martha's world. There's that age-old saying that 20% of the people do 80% of the work, and the Martha is in the room are just thinking, preach, preach, ah! <laughs> but how often do we give ourselves within the church um, this team, and teaching this group, and volunteering in this area, and attending this initiative here? How often do we have those moments where we are just like these two sisters, where we look at those that we perceive not to be doing as much as us, and we get so angry with them? We get so frustrated. And it is frustrating. And for many of you, we work so hard in the church, we want to see good things happen. We want to see the results of our hard work. We want to see an initiative go well. And so we pour ourselves in. We pour our gifts. We pour our talents. And for others, we, we work because we think, we think maybe it's God's approval, that God will give us more grace if we do more within the church. And for most, we work so hard because we want to see what Jesus called us to do. Jesus called us, for heaven's sake, to do work for the kingdom of God. The passage right before the parable of the Good Samaritan is Jesus commissioning out the 72 to go do the work of the kingdom of God. Are we not called by Jesus to roll up our sleeves, to serve, and to get to work? The first two weeks of our series has really talked about that. And I want it to be very clear that Martha is connecting deeper to God in a very unique way. Because we connect deeper to God when we have a willingness to serve, when we're willing to use our hands and our feet and our hands and our feet and the giftedness that God has given us to, to really serve God's church. As we talked about over the last couple of weeks, to connect deeper in community it requires work within our lives. The church is the body of Christ. Each member of the body should function in a way that we all work together. And there's nothing more frustrating than being an overworked arm. You're trying so hard to do your best, and then you look over and you see the noses and the toes not really doing their job. It's frustrating. And it sounds harsh, but oftentimes the church caters to flaky behavior. We just dismiss it. We're not willing to invite people into the process. And it gets frustrating at times to live in a Martha's world where we're constantly working, constantly doing, constantly looking at others at what they are not doing in response to what we are doing. So yes... What Martha is frustrated about is very real. And she is connecting deeper to God. But, and there's a big old but we're going to get to in verse 41. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. A few things are needed. Or indeed, only one. Mary chose what is better. And it will not be taken away from her. Oh yeah, Jesus is in this story. <laughs> That's what I love about a story like this. Jesus is in the story. We forgot he's there. And Jesus' response to Martha is so unexpected. What Mary is doing is better. That's not what we expect Jesus to respond. 
Because we think of a task that needs to get done. We think of a project that has to get completed. We think of a role that needs someone there to lead it. We don't think that Jesus should respond in this way. There's no sitting down. There's no relaxing. Somebody had to make the meal. So Mary chose what was better. What's going on here? So what Jesus is saying seems so impractical. But I think what Jesus is speaking into here, he's not condemning the work that Martha is doing. He's trying to talk to her about a heart issue. Because at the end of the day, Martha's work of connecting deeper to God by serving is so important. But she let her work turn so negative, so cynical, so critical, so hate-filled that she's willing to pour this out before Jesus. You can never judge a person's heart. But our heart produces so much. What did Jesus say? Out of the mouth pours the content of our heart. So she might have been choosing to do what was practically better, but Jesus says that Mary chose what was better because out of Martha's heart is pouring negativity and anger and resentment and grudges. Martha was doing what was necessary, but her motives and attitude poured out of her heart, and it was just not very good. So why did Mary choose what was better? Last June, um, I had to take a site uh, visit trip for CBF, and I racked up all these airline miles, so I decided to take Jennifer with me. And uh, for our site visit, we decided that we would go to New York City for a day to enjoy uh, some time there on our way there. And knowing a few weeks out that we were going to go, I decided to enter us in a pool to get free late-night show tickets uh, with Stephen Colbert. And uh, so I have loved Stephen Colbert way back when he was a nobody on The Daily Show. And so it was like, we're going to enter online. So I enter online, and the response I get back from them is, you're on the wait list. Okay, good. Being on the wait list is better than getting a no, right? Then a couple days out, we're not on the wait list. We've got bumped to the VIP list. And I'm thinking, VIP. So we get right outside the Ed Sullivan Theater, and apparently 50 other people were also VIPs. Um, And we were in the back of the line. But being there was much better than not being there at all. And so then we go inside. And when we go inside, we're at the back of the VIP line. Well, all of a sudden, when you get in the theater, they direct you where they want you to sit. We got to sit second row. And by the way, second row was just the seat in front of us, just two seats. So we were basically sitting on the stage. They did the warm-up act. The comedian came out. The, the band was playing. And all of a sudden, Stephen Colbert came out. And I looked like a teenage girl back when Elvis was new coming out. <laughs> And at the end of the show, um, Stephen came down to the front row, and he starts shaking everybody's hands. He takes Jennifer's hand, and I was trying my best not to literally shove my wife out of the way to get <laughs> and to touch him, and I never got to shake his hand. And the best part of all that is that Jennifer turns at me and does this. I get to touch his hand. And she is reminding me to this day that she was able to touch Stephen Colbert, and I wasn't. But at the end of the day, I was present in the moment, enjoying that together. That's what Mary chose what was better. Mary chose to be present in front of God as God was literally sitting right there with them. Mary chose what was better, which was a deep spiritual connection to God. When Jesus tells Martha and Mary that she chose what was better, he's saying that Martha chose not to be consumed with all of these things, all of the wrong attitudes, but instead he's saying that Mary chose to be present in the moment. Now let me be clear, it's not that Mary chose to sit down and do nothing when she could have been doing something. It's that 
that Mary chose to take in, to soak in all that God had in store for her. Mary chose to be present with Jesus. It was an important act of hospitality, the hospitality of listening and learning. She chose what was better, which was a a deep spiritual connection with God. It was better to be in the presence of God. It's better to receive from God than to always be doing and doing and doing. And that's the first thing I want us to learn about connecting deeper to God. It's not always about doing. Sometimes it's simply being present and receiving the Spirit of God around us and soaking in all that God has in store for us. When we choose to be present, to be shaped by God, our life is better as a result. I came across a story a couple months ago. That it was one of these stories like when it came across my newsfeed, it was like, hold on there. Let me read a little bit more into this. And it was a story of a 76-year-old woman and her 42-year-old son that were kicked out of KFC. And the story goes that the woman was feeding her son. And I'm not talking about she was feeding her son as if she was sporking out like the potato chicken disgusting bowl, like feed him. She was literally bottle feeding her 42-year-old son. Crazy, right? And I was like, this can't be true. So I was like, let me dig deeper and deeper and deeper. And as I dug deeper, I found out the story isn't true. It was a sketch set up by a comedy show to throw people off in this KFC. And they really were kicked out as a result of disturbing everybody with bottle feeding a 42-year-old. But then I started to read and look more online. And, and you read so much more about grown men who are continued to be babied by their mothers. And read all kinds of these psychology studies that show that there are still grown men who can't function without having their mother pick out their outfits for them each day. There's still grown men that can't go to work unless their mother makes their lunch for them every day and come home and their mother cooks them dinner every single day. And I'm not knocking on the beautiful mother-son relationship. I love my mother. And we all know that my mother loves me. But at some point, you've got to stop being spoon-fed and bottle-fed by your parents. And that's really about connecting deeper to God, that I want us to go there for just a second. At some point in our spiritual journey, we have to take personal responsibility for our development and connecting deeper with God. Did you notice that Martha or Mary didn't say, hey Jesus, do you mind, can my community group leader or my pastor sit right here and they'll take in all that you have to say and then I'll come on a Sunday and they can tell me exactly what I need to know about what you had to say. Instead, we have a woman who is here present taking responsibility for her spiritual journey. How often do we depend on others to help us develop in our relationship with God? How often do we depend on paid staff, on a book, on a podcast, on a mega church pastor to receive what we need from God? And if we live by a Sunday-by-Sunday mentality, receiving only a word from God during worship, then we're not taking personal responsibility for connecting deeper to God. If you strip away the Sunday morning facade of, quote, going to church, occasionally throwing out the God lingo that we bring into our lives and the ritualistic prayers we have over meals, is there anything there where we are trying day-to-day to connect deeper with our Creator? And I know this sounds really harsh, But at some point, we have to stop being spoon-fed our faith. 
Discipleship, connecting deeper to God, does not take place when you and I are constantly spoon-fed theological conclusions. Instead, you and I have to take the responsibility to ask those hard questions, to wrestle with the difficult answers, and sometimes to wrestle with the fact that there is gray in this world. And in that moment, we connect deeper to God. Me, myself, and I is responsible for whether or not I'm in the presence of God each day. Whether or not I am going to connect deeper to God. There's two fascinating stories that take place in the Gospels that are are really weird. The first one is that Jesus has this massive following. It's everything that a megachurch pastor wants. Numbers, numbers, numbers. Except when Jesus has this large following, he turns to them and says... Um, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you can have no life in me. And John reports that many left him that day and never followed him again. There's a story in the Gospels where it says that three people came up to Jesus and they proclaim they're, they're ready to follow Jesus. Wonderful, praise God. To the first person, Jesus says, hey, foxes have homes and so do birds, but I'm homeless. And it says the man left him. Jesus turned to the next person who said, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus looked at them and said, let the dead bury their own dead, but you come and proclaim the kingdom of God. It says the man left him. And finally to the third man, he says, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go, but let me first go say goodbye to my parents. And Jesus says, no one who puts through his plan to the plow but looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And the man left him. I mean, doesn't Jesus want people to follow him? But what we learn is connecting deeper to God. Discipleship is not easy. If this whole following Jesus thing was easy, then everyone in this world would choose to follow Jesus. But Jesus is inviting us to follow in his footsteps, to learn from him, to become a new human each day as we learn more from Christ, become more like Jesus, which in part says that something about us is changing day after day after day. And it's not easy. Being religious in America is easy. It's easy because we have a weekly routine. We get up, we get dressed, we get our family at the door, most likely rushing out the door, which there's an argument on the way to church. But then when we pull into church, all of us are smiles because everything's great in our life. And then we come into worship, we, we stand up for two songs, we sit down, we throw our check in the offering plate or go back to the card reader, we stand up, sing another song, we hear this guy talk for 20 to 30 minutes unless he thinks what he's sounding and sounds really good and he talks for 40 minutes. We do some sort of response and then we leave and that's it. In 60 to 80 minutes, we've accomplished all of the discipleship we need in our life. Religion is easy. Following rules is easy. It's easy to be shaped into what that looks like, but it's difficult to follow Jesus. And for us to follow Jesus, it means we dive headfirst into chewing on and processing what does it mean to actually follow Jesus. Is it as easy as simply reading scripture and putting that into practice? Well, if that's the case, half of us are, quote, hellbound based on the Old Testament law because we're breaking all those rules. Anybody fill up their gas tank or walk their donkey to the watering hole yesterday? You broke the Sabbath. How dare you? Anybody wearing a, a cotton polyester blend shirt? You just broke the law of Moses. I had pork and shrimp this last week week. My goodness, I'm like going straight to hell apparently. Is, is growing in Christ as easy as reading scripture and simply doing what it says? Well, if that's the case, then half of us wouldn't have an eye or uh, one of our hands because Jesus tells us to gouge out our eyes and cut off our hand if it causes us to sin. 
So connecting deeper to God comes through listening and processing and putting into action God's word. James writes, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like one who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, will be blessed in what they do. So continuing in a journey with Jesus, being in the presence of Jesus is about, it's about reading and processing and chewing and living in response to God's active and living word within us. And as we begin to spend time with God each day, as you and I both equally take responsibility in connecting deeper to God, we begin to find that God is shaping us and molding us to become more like Jesus. It takes us spending time in the Word. Again, James says, only an idiot looks at himself in the mirror and then walks away and forgets what he looks like. It's an invitation to take this life-giving Word of God and allow it to shape and form our lives and live in response. Connecting deeper to God takes place when we listen and process and put God's Word into action. And there's this last tremendous aspect of connecting deeper to God that I want us to touch on. And I want to re- us to read this passage as we did last week. So read this text with me in Acts 2, 42 through 40, 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to gather in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those being saved. As we've investigated this theme text over our series, we've seen that it defines what community looks like. We've seen what it means to be missional. And now we can see what it means to connect deeper to God. Again, there is no individual pronouns in this text. It is they, them, all. What we learned from this text is that connecting deeper to God is an ongoing act of community. This faith journey with Jesus is not a solitary journey. We are given the gift of the church to journey in faith together. And I'll be the first to admit that I don't know anything. And I don't know everything. Surprise, right? (laughs) We all don't have the answers for everything. And the community of God is designed in such a way that we, we come together to find collective wisdom and collective experience and collective stepping out in faith together and what God is calling us to. Together we challenge each other to grow deeper in God's Word. Together we examine difficult texts and difficult questions. Together we remind each other of the great teachings of Jesus. Together we make disciples. That's the goal and vision of Mosaic, to be a community of disciples who make disciples. It's why we exist. It's not for the music, it's not for the great coffee, it's not for the really cool pastoral intern and the really annoying (laughs) senior pastor. We exist to bring people together to Jesus, to choose to follow Jesus together, to journey alongside each other together and grow in Christ. 
In the past, I've been foolish enough to compare success in discipleship to participation levels in things like community groups, as if participating in a human-made program determines the depth of discipleship of this church. However, I want us to come to see that connecting deeper to God together is an act of community. It is an invitation for us to live life in such a way that allows us to to help shape each other through spiritual conversations, real-life conflict together, engaging in the Word of God together, and putting into practice the way of Jesus. This can't take place if we just do a Sunday-to-Sunday thing. But it can take place if we choose to step into mutual trusting relationships together. I love you. And I want to be shaped and formed by you in my spiritual journey. And I hope you desire the same for your life. Will you join me in a great expedition of faith to discover more of Jesus together? And to live into the calling he has on our lives together.